But you know, Brian Brian liked them, and I think that I think they liked the questions. We're talking about a, a wonderful show that I have participated on last week, and it's called Hex Education Covendom, a live occult web series with Brian Kane, Levi Rowland, and Ellie Barnes. It's so wonderful when you talk with people that really you can actually have a back and forth you know what i mean so it's a nice thing to really feel that and then and then of course brian received training from a wonderful high priestess and very close to the training that i received as well so we're there is almost like a, a a kinship between brian and i and and his way of of doing the craft that is very interesting although it's not exact probably not exactly the same but we come from it's almost like we hived off from the same coven do you know what i mean absolutely yeah in the united states would call that kissing cousins uh (laughs) (laughs) slightly different right but but related uh, yeah 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 training and they've been doing that for a long time now that uh they have it's like they're in their fifth or sixth Gosh, yes. So he told me that he was on, was it four years that he said that he they were doing this? Yeah. And um and it's a very interesting idea. I mean, I thought that it was very clever, this ambush uh interview. And the reason why I think that it's very clever, it's because it's the the guest that brings the theme to their the con the content yeah. to their own podcast. And it's it's very it's very clever. I think that's yeah. it's very clever. Yeah. And very brave, the fact that you can't prepare. You know, That's who, right, right. It's yeah. super brave. I think that mm-hmm. they're the, the three of them are very brave on on the because I'm sure that there will be that there were some of the questions and and themes that brought brought in by by guests that were not really very easy. No, no, and a real yeah. test of your knowledge as well. It is a test of your knowledge. Yeah, a test of your knowledge. I mean, it's just very clever. I thought yeah. that it was very clever thing. Today we're we're talking about terms, right? That we thought that it was really interesting. I mean, and these things are echoed in various forums and things like that. So we we hear these terms frequently, I think, I would say, right? We do. And I think um, for us to say that we're coming from a very specific point of view in terms of being Alexandrian, and I think also terminology that's important for seekers to to know as well. There is also the factor that We've heard this being discussed, and sometimes we don't really agree with the person's definition of what we are going to actually define. And I think that that tells us that, you know, first of all, we all have an opinion, and second of all... We do. Some more informed than others. (laughs) Yes. And I think that it's important for us to remind people that we're talking about from the point of view of our own training and our own practice and what we learned from our teachers. So uh, it's important for people to know that. And and that is true for everyone, really, including those that we don't really agree with. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. I, I agree. <laughs> the first one that I think that it's important for us to really address is, can you define your practice? How would you define it? Because, you know, what we do, it's not necessarily exactly the same as other Alexandrians do. So we are really going into uh, our origin and where we're we coming from. Our training came from the, the practices or, or what we would call uh, a training from the Temple of the Mother related directly to Maxine. And so for us, what we say and how we say it, and maybe even Maxine might disagree <laughs> with, <laughs> but we're, we're coming from that particular point, which I think that it's important for people to know. I think you can even um, step back even further, right, and talk about just tradition. So therefore, we're coming from the Alexandrian tradition, which, of course, is going to inform our practice. But then under that large umbrella of the Alexandrian tradition, then you start to get these. And I think you can talk about this, too, Kerrigan, is our, our lines, right? So we're sort of coming from training from the Temple of the Mother, which more specifically then affects our uh, affects our practice right and our definitions and of course how we define it so how would you define your practice if somebody 
You know, and this is a very common you know, question for people that are not really truly related with witchcraft. Sometimes the friends of yours that know that you have been uh, related with witchcraft somehow you were, you know, practicing, but they don't really, they're not connected. They don't really know what's going on. And they ask you, so how do you define that? How do you define what you do? Um, I guess I could do it really generally speaking and say I'm a priest of the goddess. It's probably how I started to define my practice. So therefore looking at it very much as a priesthood in service of the gods and in service of the goddess specifically, that also embraces a magical uh, system as well. And I probably would say that, that very generally speaking, especially to someone who's not really familiar with the craft um, or witchcraft or the practice or, or the practice thereof. How specific would you get, Kerrigan, in terms of so, so depending on who's listening, right? Yeah. So how would you do that for a seeker, for instance, that have read a couple of things, including what witches do? How would you define your practice? So I would then talk about the Alexandrian tradition more specifically and what the Alexandrian tradition, generally speaking, embraces in its practices. So therefore talking about from hermetic principles uh, or other types of magical systems that have gotten incorporated uh, into the practice. I'm sure there will be people that are listening to us that they are actually seekers or people that are just curious, that they want to know, okay, so how is that different from Gardnerian? Do you know what I mean? How are you? There's a lot of people that ask me this question. How is yours d different from Gardnerian? You know, um, and this well, is a very difficult question. It's a difficult question because I'm not Gardnerian. Right. So, so therefore, I only I, do I know Gardnerians? I do. Um, do I know Alexandrians who practice in a I would call rather Gardnerian way? I do. Um, and I think broadly speaking, I think Gardnerians are very earthly uh, in their uh, in their practice. And, and I think with Alexandrians and with Alex and Maxine have really, and this is probably a fighting word, sort of elevated uh, the craft to the cosmic. I think we, as Alexandrians, are focused on the universal um, as well as the earthly rather than just sort of the earthly, um, the earthly plane. I don't know if that makes, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, um, we talked about this with uh, Levi. Yeah. On, and Brian and Ellie um, on uh, Hex uh, podcast because it, it really, we actually said that. We said the work of Alex and Maxine elevated the craft into a cosmic level. So I think that that's what really is interesting. I think that we can't really say how is yours different from Gardnerian. I, I really do. I, I have been in Gardnerian circles mm -hmm. and I think that it's very difficult for me to say, well, that's Gardnerian. Well, that is Gardnerian in a way because that was a Gardnerian covenant. But yes. um, if one person would come to our circle and to Brian's circle, for instance, they won't, they won't, they wouldn't see a lot of difference. They would recognize things pretty easily. If they would go to, because of the way that we do things and where our training coming from and the origin of our training, so I know that there are consistent things that by either conversations with Gardnerians or by going into one coven um, and the circle that I have seen, um, I definitely know that there are huge differences. And, and for what I see, right? So comparing to what I do to what they did, but I can't really say, well, that is the whole Gardnerian tradition, right? Because I have... I might have been exposed to one coven that was not, uh, or that that practices that way, and another one would be different, and another one would be different. So we can't really, it's very difficult, isn't it? It is difficult, and I think our conversation could at any moment get really uh, embedded and, and maze-like, because there's a lot of different directions we can go uh, here. And I think just to sort of, so therefore, like, what is a tradition? You may think about that. So therefore, what is a tradition? So that's a, a passed down um, guide of philosophies, beliefs, and practices that are then kept and maintained, right? And then passed down over years. Right. 
and, and would, would, I don't know, would you agree with that, Kerrigan, or anything that you would add to that in terms of you know, what is, generally speaking, a tradition? I do agree with that. I think that that's what defines tradition. It's a way of doing things always the same, the same way. I think, yeah, and I yeah. think that that's what defines it. Um, I, I believe that, and you said this before, I think. You said this before in our previous conversation. We prepared these podcasts just so you know. <laughs> we do have conversations. Slightly. And they, get, and they get very animated. Very animated. Um, so uh, you said, you know, that uh, if, if I go to another Alexandrian coven, I should recognize their practices. I should be able to understand what they're doing. Absolutely, right? Between the two traditions, major traditions, and, you know, Gardnerian and, and Alexandrian, I would say that I should be able to go to any Gardnerian coven uh, guest in, which probably never would ever happen. Um, and then uh, go to any Alexandrian coven um, and then see commonalities between those covens, right? Within the traditional practices. So Gardnerian, right. you're going to practice in a very in, in a certain way. You should see that thread or you should see that line as well as Alexandrian coven. You should be able to see that thread and to see that line. What often happens, yes, every coven is autonomous, and there are different lines within traditions with slightly different practices. But oftentimes you hear about covens, yes, being covens being autonomous, but what does that mean? Does that mean that you throw out all of your traditional practices uh, and make up whatever you want to make up and call yourself Alexandrian? Or is it thought that you should maintain those traditional practices? So. Should we be able to go to any Alexandrian coven and see Alexandrian traditional practices, or is it okay to go to Alexandrian coven and see nothing that's familiar? It depends on... <laughs> and then still call yourself Alexandrian. Yes, yes. I think that you should. You should. Although, <laughs> you know, you know, what is, autonomy, what, what is autonomy, really? I mean, autonomy is that a person is totally on their own. They're, they're responsible for their training. They're responsible right. for their choice of initiates. They're responsible for what they do in their coven. They're responsible for their practices. But why would it be unrecognizable if you're calling yourself Alexandria? And this takes us into another question, which is, all that unites us is the initiation and the lineage back to Alex and Maxine. Is it really? Is it? Because if it is called a tradition, so why why isn't it called just a lineage? Why is it called a tradition? Mm -hmm. You know, oh, it's a tradition within traditional Wicca. Okay, so, and it's different from Gardnerian? Yeah. Well, but the only difference cannot be just lineage. Yeah. You, you can't say that that's a tradition if you just it's just lineage and can you explain lineage especially if you know there's there are seekers so lineage is um a sequence so when you're when you're initiated you're initiated by uh, another person and this is another discussion that we're going to have on the next episode which is same-sex initiation which is going to be very flammable of course because it's very controversial but when you're initiated you're initiated by another person mm -hmm. uh, hopefully of uh, a different gender than yours. Um, yep. So if you're a man, you should be initiated by a woman. If you're a woman, you should be initiated by a man. But, you know, that's what it is. Uh, and it, it always was done that way, you know. And those who received training in power understand why this is done this way. Yes. Um, anyway, but the, when you're initiated, you're initiated by a person of the opposite gender of yours. And of course, lineage is a line, a continuous line of initiates that go back to Alex and Maxine, very much like a family tree yes. um, that traces your initiation back to Alex and Maxine. So if you're initiated by Isabel, right, um, and you're a man, you're initiated by Isabel. Isabel was initiated by Roberto. Roberto was initiated by uh, Anna, and Anna was initiated by Alex. Yes. And, and that's how you... That's your lineage. So that's that's your uninterrupted line of succession uh, of initiates that were initiated by, initiated by, initiated by. Absolutely. And that's how you trace your lineage. And for Gardnerians, it would be Gardner, right? They, they would go... For Gardnerians would be Gardner. They would go... One of the things that I wanted to ask you is this. Why do you think that some Alexandrians trace their lineage back to Gerald Gardner? 
should they? Because they really want to be Gardnerian? Um, I, <laughs> then go be Gardnerian. Right. Uh, I, I think this gets into a whole thing in terms of uh, just of human nature and where, because there's also lots of discussion of like, well, how many degrees are you away from Alex and Maxine, right? Like how many people are you away from them? And everyone wants to be, you know, third in line uh, rather than, you know, 125th away from uh, away from Alex. So there's, I think there's this weird competition thing. Uh, and I think there's also this sort of strange authenticity thing that I'm more authentic uh, because I'm tracing my myself back to Gardner. I don't understand it because Alex really changed Gardnerian, right? So he really did create a very, very different tradition. And I, this brings us back to our, our point that Alexandrian and Gardnerian are very different um, philosophically, uh, theologically, and as well as in terms of our practices. You know that somebody, I, I actually said this once, I, I literally wrote this down in a forum and people, and I said, we are different philosophically. Yeah. And an Alexandrian asked me, what do you mean? So I'm going to ask you the same question. What do you mean, Michael, philosophically? So, and I'm not telling, you know, any secrets here. There's just different, um, different practices. Yeah. So for example, and I think this is important too, for seekers who are seeking covens and are speaking to coven leaders, that there are Alexandrian practices that should be adhered to, in my belief, and questions you would probably want to ask the coven leader. So for example, philosophically speaking, do you keep the measure? Do right. you take blood, right? So therefore, keeping the measure is a part of control. Uh, do you give second and third degree together or do you separate them out? And those are primarily Gardnerian practices, which sort of conflicts with the Alexandrian tenet of freedom that there's more freedom in Alexandrian. So let me ask you another question, because I'm doing devil's advocate now. Oh, no. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Which is, uh, isn't it up to the coven to choose to give the degrees as they see fit? Well, there's no one policing, right? There's no one policing these covens. So absolutely, if you want to give second, First, which is a really sort of bizarre ritual for a fertility cult, um, which I would call witchcraft. Um, and you want to leave that person there for, I guess, reasons that are important to you as a leader, then that is your, that is your prerogative. But if you look at the practices of Alex and Maxine, uh, and then sort of understand, well, why would you give those together? And it's really a more of a clear reading of the Book of Shadows, and that the third right is the celebration that caps the that caps the second, right? Yeah, and that's my opinion as well. So I think that there are uh, other things, of course, philosophically that we would discuss with only initiates that are very clear, right? Mm. Um, and what what do you think about this dual lineage thing that one person is initiated? Uh, in one tradition, and then they want to be also in the other one. Yeah. Tradition collectors? Is that what you're asking me about? <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, Kerrigan, I don't know how to answer this. Quite. I think I think it reminds me of the U2 song, you know, and, and, you, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I think when you, I think when you are going to tradition, to tradition, to tradition, I don't think you have found the divine. Like, I don't think you have found your your place. I don't think you have found your path. And I think you're, you're seeking. Or, and I guess that's the, I think that's probably the most positive way, honestly, okay. of, looking, of looking at it from my perspective. A less than positive light that is that uh, I just want to be as special as I possibly can be in the eyes of everyone. And look at, I'm initiated in this and I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this. I'm far more magical and evolved than you are. Why would you think that people, is that the only reason? I mean, do you think that there is no sincerity when it comes to, oh, maybe this is really not what I want? Because, you know, 
Uh, oh, that's different. That, yeah. That's, that's yeah. different, right? So therefore, absolutely, right? So therefore, if you go into a tradition, if you go into a certain line, right, within a tradition, like with within Alexandrian, or if you're in a coven that's Alexandrian, and you're like, oh, this is just not not for me in terms of the practices, or you don't agree, or it just does not feel right, then, oh, of course, then uh, abandon ship, right? Get out of that coven and search for another one within your tradition or search for a different tradition uh, in its entirety. Because that is, because you really don't know, right? Until you are practicing. Because nothing is revealed until you are there, right? Yes. So the other question is, and you talk a little bit about lineage and, and line, how would you define line? So for me, so there's like, there's technical, right? So Kerrigan, you're probably better at this, right? In terms of the, the technical definition of when a line forms, right? So that's a, a certain coven, then what hives off, right? Three other covens, and then a line can be, a line can be formed. So is that... Is that how you would define it? Or yes, so yeah. it's it's very much like the it's almost like the witch queen, but not yeah. really without the witch queen. Yeah, you, you know. It's, so it's there is a coven, a mother coven, right? So it's a, the the original coven, and then if there is three or more covens that get out of that coven, then it becomes a line. I mean, and this is this is it, it could, be, but it's circumstantial, and lines can form in different ways. I mean, we know that Gardnerians have lines as well in America. There are lines of of Alexandrians and also of Gardnerians. There is the Long Island line, for instance. There is different lines, right? So the line can be formed, and for instance, in Gardnerian history, it's very interesting. The lines can be formed. Because there is a very strong high priestess that is in the mother coven, like you know, Ray Bone comes to mind. Uh, you know, so she is she was a very prominent and prolific high priestess of Gardner, and yeah. uh, the White Cross line came about. Um, yeah. and it it's Ray Bone's line or White Cross um, lines come about spontaneously. There is no oh, I'm going to fabricate this. You know, I'm going to say to everyone that this line is it. You know, and then there is other reasons, for instance, um, to differentiate uh, the practices. And that was actually uh, the uh, case with the Queensberry line, is it? which was it came up because, you know, following the rule, of course, of three, but because um, we came from Duban de Grisil, which is a line in America. It's the oldest line and the first line of Alexandrians in America. And I received uh, training from, you know, directly from people that, that were in front of the Temple of the Mother. And of course, you know, it would be unfair to be, to be calling ourselves uh, or our practice um, coming from the Bedegris Hill because our practice was adjusted. And yep. uh, when Max, when I met Maxine and, and we, be, we established this uh, wonderful relationship, she advised us in several things after my questions, of course, to her. And she suggested uh, and, and told me a couple of things that were adjusted in practice. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, that was very important to me because I wanted to really uh, follow um, what was the tradition originally and how the current was done originally. So I guess that the Queensberry line, it's almost like an homage to Maxine's <laughs> teaching, yeah. right? Yeah. Because, um, and, and it wouldn't be fair to be calling uh, ourselves or what we do. Uh, I wanted a reference to our training and coming from her. So I think that it's very important that the Queensberry line is called the Queensberry line because it's reference to the training. So sometimes it's reference to the training or the practice. Um, mm -hmm. Long Island line is very different practice from some of Gardnerians in, in the mainland, which is uh, United Kingdom. They have huge differences sometimes from the, the, the very origin of the line of Long Island. Yeah. Um, you know, from right from the get go, right? So it's it's sometimes it's to differentiate practice, sometimes it's to pay homage to practice. Yep. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's to really kind of denominate to singularity, um, to singular ourselves and say, you know, I am from 
this train I have received this training and I have this training and this is uh, my practice so it's yeah. it's very uh, important I think and of course you know people sometimes people um, the original members of the London uh, the first London Coven and then Maxine's uh, Temple of the Mother sometimes don't really they were the line <laughs> they were, exactly <laughs> they were there there was no need for this in the UK because we this is this is about when when the tradition goes to other countries then we're talking about that line because we won't be talking about this bunch of initiates from holland do you know what i mean no you no. the holland line or the, the the dutch line or the dutch witches or whatever it is that you're talking about but you need to differentiate you need something to call you know and um yeah that's i think that that's the only use for the line really there is no. no other uses for the line. There are, um, and I talked about this in the in with Brian, Ellie, and uh, Levi. It, it's about the abuse, right? So sometimes there is abuse because of these things that lines, you know. And of course, you know, a line it's a it's a it's a, a string of covens coming from the same coven. And what this this you know in our case, what this say is that. All of those covens were given the same training. Yes. What they do after that, it's up to them because every coven is independent and every coven is autonomous. So, you know, what they do with that particular training, it's up to them. So it's their own work and it's it's what they, you know, nobody can be, you know, a line, it's not a uniformization of um, practicing uh, the craft or the practices of the craft. That's not what it is. It refers to the original coven and what that coven, you know, gave as, you know, in this case, it's what the coven gave to the other uh, initiates that form other covens. And then what they do with it, it's up to them. True. So, yeah, these different lines within our tradition are related to almost like different flavors as well, right? With sort of core <laughs> belief systems and then uh, diff slightly different or sometimes a little bit more than slightly different practices within. So there's, I'm sure there's different ways uh, of practicing versus if we think about the lines within Alexandrian, you know, Queensberry versus Kent uh, versus right. Nesnik, right? There are these different, um, these different lines. Right. And, and it, it yeah, you, you refer to three lines, for instance, Queensberry, Kent line, and then the uh, Mary Nesnik line, which is another line. Uh, very different. I would say that the Kent line is very close to some of our the Queensberry, and the reason why it is, it's because it comes uh, almost directly from the same string. We all come from the same string, but yeah. you know directly. So, uh, so they actually they actually learned and received training from that particular you know coven, and and that's one of the things that refers to. It's it's basically training that would be given that would be put in practice and therefore i mean in our case for instance i wanted to be as close as possible to the original teachings yes and you know this is not to say well you're establishing a museum that's not what it is it's okay. it's really understanding the genesis of things and then of course you know if you do understand the genesis and if you do understand you can continue the string and, and you can continue to navigate and develop work on your own within the same current. Mm -hmm. You know, and the current is, in this case, was Maxine. And when you, your teacher teaches you something, they teach you a system. The, the training is development of the initiate. It's for the development of the initiate's capacities. And it's stringed into a system to connect yourself to the divine force, right? So yeah. it's it's the rituals. It's the way you are in a ritual. It's the way you do the ritual. It's the way you ritualize. It's the way you are or not conscious. It's the way of you addressing the divine, you know, and that is passed on in the training, you know, and the practice in the coven. So the methods that are transmitted in this training are linked on it's no it's inevitable that they are linked to the teacher the original teacher uh, and therefore link you to this system or way of doing things 
that will link you to the system of that teacher that connects to the divine. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely know what you mean. And I think being a little bit of a purist in the sense or traditionalist, right? And trying to get back to those core source practices, which I don't think being a purist is an ugly thing. I think we live, uh, however, in the 21st century where eclecticism is all the rage and we are weary of tradition. And I think it know, stems from this idea of oppression or, or whatnot. And then, but that just because you're a purist or a traditionalist doesn't mean that there's, there's no growth, right? As you were saying, that there's no development. Maxine is a, a proponent. And you, where do you take it from? I've trained you. Where do you take it from there? And what other things can you develop? Can you do a practice better than I, better than I've done it? But always with that question in mind of are you changing it for the better in terms of a better of a better way for effective results, or are you changing it just to change it? Well, they always both Alex and Maxine always encouraged experimentation, experimentation um, on the craft, yeah. and and then of course you know they themselves did that a lot, and this is why the changes became the changes from the Gardnerian piece because they actually changed things and they spent sometimes years, the whole coven would spend years uh, trying some method or, or trying things with different uh, approaches. And, and then until they got it, something um, that yeah. was worth kept, uh, you know, and, and then they would develop that work. So these things were done for, for <laughs> our own opportunity to take this. Okay. So how furthermore can I develop this? Yeah. to enhance this or to actually going to that direction. So it's it's really a, a very important work that shouldn't be neglected or shouldn't be disregarded. And it should be actually an opportunity. How lucky are we that we have access to that and we can actually further these things even more and, and enhance our own work and maybe even contribute to it and add some things that would uh, further even more the effect of that. So I'm talking about magic. I'm talking about uh, ritual, talking about all of that. So it, it, that's what I think that it's the opportunity when people say, well, we don't do that. We don't really do. It. Well, why not? It's yeah, why not? That's the question, right? So why don't you why don't you do it? Is just because you're uncomfortable with it? It's just because you just don't like it. And you raised this during your conversation with Brian Levi and Ellie about um many people who want who come into the craft. And I would say I would, you know, third degree covenant leaders, I'm sure are guilty of this as well, who want to change the tradition in the vision of how they want to practice or just how they feel comfortable. In terms, in terms of practicing, rather than letting this tradition change you. Exactly. It was more of a personal question because there are a lot of people, and we're going to talk about this when we talk about same-sex initiation, right? So we're going to talk about a lot of people, accommodations, right? Or or differentiations or or what it means, really, the work of a coven. What does that mean? You know, um, mm -hmm. because we're both high priests of, of covens, so we don't we know a little bit about the practices in, in a coven uh, or having a coven. So we can actually talk about this and talk about what, what, what does that mean? What does that mean being independent? What does it mean being autonomous and all of that? But this takes us into the first question I asked somebody that asks for initiation from our coven is, and I, I was taught this, is what do you think that the Alexandrian tradition will bring to you? And the second question is, we always ask these two, what do you think that you can contribute to the Alexandrian tradition? I never asked for the covenant. I actually never asked that. What can you contribute to the covenant? What do you think that the covenant can give you? That is not really what was, that was not the question. So what do you think? Do you think that, uh, you know, people are, want to be initiated in a coven or in a tradition when they come to you? When they come to me, they're being initiated into a tradition and then it become, and then it is the coven. And what I mean by that is that I hold uh, to the core practices, values, philosophies of the Alexandrian tradition um, as delineated and developed by Alexanders and even more specifically, right? I think we're really um, even more so products of Maxine. Uh -huh. Maxine 
practice, right? And the temple and the temple of the mother. So therefore they're getting initiated into that tradition and into that line yeah. more so than the coven itself. Now, that being said, uh, and again, we're bringing up this whole idea of coven autonomy. So what does that mean? So therefore there might be a little bit of different nuances in my coven, right? Versus yours, for example, Kerrigan. So in my practices, we might do a little bit more hermetics than others do. Might do a little bit more Kabbalah, right? Than um, than others do. However, you will not come into my coven mm -hmm. uh, and have radical differences than the Alexandrian line is set forth by Alexander Maxine. One of the things that I want to mention is, is something that is circumstantial, and and this is you know I talked about this in my book. Um, plug it in. Um, <laughs> I talked about this in my book, which is uh, the fact that some of the things are circumstantial, right? So people that were initiated in the first London Coven that Alex and Maxine had in 1970, 69, they were they developed a work in that particular coven. Uh, and then the timing of the Temple of the Mother that came after that, uh, other people were initiated in that particular coven. When people arrive to a coven, they arrive at a point of development of that particular coven. And the work they are doing, if it is a coven that it's still developing, that's what happens. So the person yeah. comes into that particular coven and they find that the training that they are receiving, it's a product of the development of work that was done before. So of course, you know, um, some of the things that are taught, they're not really exactly the same as they were taught before because then things, you know, you add things, you you better things, you you develop things, you you enhance things. So not necessarily somebody that was initiated in the first London coven knows about things of the Temple of the Mother, for instance. And an example of this, it's, it's the opening and closing of the Temple Rite, which is a rite that was developed by uh, Maxine and uh, David in the Temple of the Mother. And, and of course, there are people of the first times of the London Coven that they do not know, they didn't know the existence of this because this was developed after they yeah. were initiated. And, it, and they didn't belong to the Temple of the Mother. So... They were never in the temple of the mother, uh, or because they hived off, or because you know they they made their own you know hives off, meaning they left and and form another coven. So they never received this. So sometimes these things are circumstantial, and the differences come because of circumstance, because you you were in different times in or you entered in different times that things were taught. So and sometimes this happens, right? Absolutely. Very um, true. But when you know <laughs> and you say, well, I don't want that, you know, I don't want to practice that. I don't want to, you know, I think that that's unnecessary and that's fine. But, but, you know, this is me. If I was initiated, let's just say in 1969, let's just say, right. So I was in 1969 and somebody comes to me and says, you know, there is this ritual done by priests only. Uh, called the opening and closing of the temple rites that was taught by Maxine and David uh, in the temple of the mother. And we received this and uh, we know how to do it. Would you like to, you know, or, you know, you mention it and they say, what is that? Because I've never received that. I would very much want to know what it was. I wanted to know why was it done. I wanted to know the history of the development of that particular ritual. And I wanted to know what does it enhance what does it do? What does it do? Yeah. Do. I, I'm a little bit always uh, surprised when people just just don't care. They yeah. don't care. And, and to me, that is, I mean, I, I'm not like that. I, I'm always looking for more things, looking for developing things, to work on things, and to really absorb as much as I can, you know? I think I, I think you're going to be a good cop and I think I'm gonna be bad cop because when I <laughs> when you hear people who are so resistant, I just feel that's just ego. This this resistance to want to learn something else. And I always 
if I talk to somebody who thinks they have everything all sewn up, I find that person exceedingly boring. I want to talk about people who are engaged, who are developing, who are curious, right? Curiosity. How does that ritual work? Go through the ritual. Absolutely, right? Go through the ritual. And then if you're like, you know what? This really doesn't work for the way that we practice. And then at least you have an informed opinion and you understand why you don't want to incorporate that into your practice. This is an even more difficult question. An e even more difficult question. So it's it, it, it's very difficult because I don't really know um, that some people know how to answer this. What does it mean to be an Alexandrian initiate? That's a really difficult, right? That's a difficult question because... It's personal. Oh, it is. It is personal. And then it's also technical, right? right? So if you have been initiated through the initiation ritual, which is one of those things, according to our tradition, cannot be changed. So that would be worrisome if Alexandrians, uh, under the guise of covenant autonomy, are changing, right, the initiation uh, ritual. Uh, therefore, if you've gone through that initiation, then technically you are an initiate, right, of the Alexandrian tradition. Now, you can be an initiate, and once the initiation is made, right, that's it. So once a witch, always a witch. But you could just then leave that covenant and never do anything for the, for the rest of your life and still be like, I'm an Alexandrian initiate. Well, technically you are. That's right. Um, right? Technically you are, but um, have you received the training, right? do you actually, do you actually practice? So I guess, you know, what do you, you know, what do you mean by, so when I hear Alexandra initiate, I think I probably wrongfully assume that you've received training and that you are a practicing Alexandrian witch and therefore a priest or priestess. Because that's another distinction that I'm sure that I will be, uh, I will receive a lot of opinions on and I might again, this this is in my book, um, but no. it it is very very important distinction. I think that people that go through an initiation rite are initiates. People that go through an initiation rite and are practicing in a coven, actively practicing the tradition, are priests and priestesses because that's the office. Of it, yes, and of course, people are going to say, "Oh, no, that's not true," because you know, um, you're when you're presented, you know, it is said so and so. But I think that we need to understand that the office of priesthood is the practice of the craft, and not the word initiate means that the person passed through a rite of initiation. It doesn't refer to the practice of the tradition. It refers to the rite of initiation. That's why it's called an initiate. The priest, however, priest or priestess, it is the office of the circle. So circle. it actually refers to the circle inside of a circle practicing the craft. Now, you might say, you know, I have other people that might say, you know, but I'm a priestess or I'm a priest always, even when I'm not inside of the circle. Well, good for you. <laughs> good for you for you i yep. so uh, you know so i think yeah. i think that it's it's really important right um to make that i think that to make that distinction because you know there's a lot of people who say well i am an alexandrian and i have third i've i was initiated 30 years ago and i have 30 years of this or 35 years of this well if it was 35 years of nothing yeah then what is it really? It's just an initiation. Let's just say it. Absolutely. It's like, re it's like um, earning a degree in accounting um, and never being an accountant. Uh, <laughs> and, then, right? <laughs> and then 30 years later, you're like, but I have my degree in accounting. And I'm like, okay, you do. However, Good you've never you. <laughs> accounting. And it's also interesting that we're talking about initiate uh, and we're talking about priest, priestess, priesthood. Yes. Um, and we haven't mentioned the word witch. Yes, we haven't. And, so, I, and I think that is because there is a couple of things that people say, well, you're a witch. Well, very particular to Wicca, specifically traditional Wicca. So that word came from traditional Wicca used in the modern world 
uh, that way, right? Because, you know, if we go to traditional witchcraft, which is not Wicca, uh, yep. and it's very regional um, in terms of, you know, it belongs to a country or a region or whatever it is, um, it's very particular to some cultures, right? Traditional witchcraft, if you call somebody a witch, might not be very well received. So in certain circumstances, in certain uh -huh. cases. So I think that witch is really a word that was depicted and took by traditional Wicca as meaning somebody that is an initiated witch, right? So an initiate from a tradition and also a priest or a priestess. That's what we call a witch. And of course, you know, this took another a really different direction. A major, right? A, right, a major, major direction in the 80s because everyone wanted to be a witch. And, of course. And of course, you know, that's wonderful. But when we refer to a witch, for us, a witch is somebody that is referred to as an initiate and a priest or a priestess. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and then like, and just the etymology, right, of witch goes back to like Anglo-Saxon. So it's right. this old, this is old English, right? right. With, with, uh, with J, however you want to pronounce it. Right. Which comes under the umbrella of Christianity. And if you look just historically, you know, a witch was a person who made a pact with demons, right? Or the yeah. devil. Uh, and this was a heretical thing in the eyes of the church and something that you could get killed for, right? Capital punishment. Right. So therefore, this was a, this was a really nasty nasty word with really sort of evil um evil connotations to it subversive connotations to it and then it started to be applied liberally right really by the british right british well, anthropologists i would say right. um, we're going through other countries through colonization and they're looking at tribal practices and like oh that's like the witch right the the, the witch doctor and then yeah and then you get gardner and gardner is very decisive that he calls this the religion right of witchcraft Right. And in terms of like Wicca, we actually, in the Book of Shadows, it's very rare. Like you really don't see it, all yeah. that. And you're exactly right. So in terms of there are other cultures out there, yeah, to call to say a witch, right? I think you say this about, about Portugal. Yes. Even you can see this even in Italy. Like if you say someone's a witch, that's a derogatory comment. Well, it, it is. And the re reason why it is, it's because of the Inquisition and the, re the you know, because in, and it depends on how the Inquisition actually act up in those countries and how did they yeah. act it yeah. uh, and the methods that they applied. In Portugal, for instance, the Inquisition prosecuted uh, a lot of people, but not in the least uh, compared to any other country in Europe. Very few, very few. And it killed only one person, actually, Man. on the accusation under witchcraft. It prosecuted a lot of people. But um, they were either excused or they were, you know, pardoned or whatever happened that they would not prosecute. I mean, not carried on on the sentence. So uh, the history, for instance, in Portugal, it's very much of, you know, the, the terror of the Inquisition, that the Inquisition spread along uh, with uh, everywhere, everywhere, really. Um, is sometimes, you know, the, the word has that echo and it yeah. carries that terror and that echo. You know, if I say in Portuguese, the word witch that would be translated to in Portuguese as a witch, um, people would recognize it as an evil thing. And that yeah. is because we still have a medieval idea of a witch. N Unfortunately, the, the 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 image of a witch like we know, it's not really translated in many cultures other than some of the most <laughs> read people in the globe that know that witch might refer to modern witchcraft and therefore connected with the idea of the witch of Gardner. But it isn't really a word that is applied in other context and sometimes it's very much frowned upon actually uh, almost it's it's almost a shock when you say you know i'm a witch people jump um away from you <laughs> yeah. exactly. i have that physical yeah. physical reaction from somebody so it depends wow. on where you where you say it and then you you brought up this this idea too of like uh, of witch you know today and how and how it is how it is used and we can 
I don't know if I don't want to really get into the debate of which versus Wicca and which is what's the difference between it. I find that a little bit tiresome where which uh, can be applied to anything. So I own a crystal, therefore I'm a witch. I read my horoscope, therefore I'm a witch. I collect tarot cards, right? And therefore I am a witch. And I think it's gotten so diluted that, I don't know, do you call yourself a witch or do you call yourself an initiate or a priest? I, I call myself uh, an initiate. And a yeah, priest. I do too. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, if you say to people, well, I'm a priest, they would say, it, especially in Portugal, Catholic. Um, right, right, because that's the reference they have. Absolutely. So, you know, so if I have to say that I'm an initiated witch, um, and yeah. or I'm an initiated priest, and and I don't really use the word witch. I think, I think the word witch was fought for, and we're talking about America, right? Fought for um, by many people, wonderful people in uh, the pagan community to actually be a word that would be considered a good word, right? So to to really uh, undress that really heavy coat of Puritanism in America, but also, you know, of that uh, idea of uh, which that was bad um, or a bad person. But I prefer to call myself an initiate and priest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that yeah, refers to the office, right? What I do absolutely. and all the condition of initiate, which is good as well. So Absolutely. And it differentiates because what we do or what our practice is is very different than someone who is really practicing perhaps folk magic, for example, but calls themselves a witch. Right, right. And there absolutely. are people who will do that. I mean, I guess that, you know, everyone can call themselves whatever they want. Absolutely, whatever they want. <laughs> you want to... 21st century. Yeah. You can self-identify in any way. Exactly. So, but what what I feel is I feel that people people can call themselves whatever they want, but I prefer to <laughs> call myself a priest, an initiated priest. And the other question is, you know, this is another one that really is very, very controversial. Do you consider yourself a pagan? Yes. That is a controversial question. <laughs> and I guess, I don't know. Um uh, I guess it would be the company I keep. So who would I say that to? Maybe someone who's really not familiar with any of this. And I could be like, oh yeah, sort of like a pagan, you know, pagan religion. But no, I don't consider myself, um, I don't consider myself a pagan. I am not uh, reconstructing some kind of pagan religion or belief or, or belief system. Uh, and then... Yeah, I don't. Yeah, what about you, Carrie? I don't consider well, myself a pagan. It's very difficult because, of course, paganism and or neo-paganism. Now it's just yeah, neo. Yeah. Of course, um, it's uh, it's something that it's a distinctive word to make sure that people understand where we are, what box are we in, right? So we're not Christians. We're not. Yeah. You know, when we don't practice Islam, or we don't practice, you know, Buddhism or Hinduism. So where are you in this whole thing? So if you say that you're a pagan, everybody knows, oh, okay. So it's either Druidism, Wicca, Druidism. that true, whatever it is. And you have God. Right, yes. right, right. So you enter this hall of things, right? So, and you know, who is your group, right? So it defines your group, really, nowadays, defines your group, it defines your your not necessarily your, like people would like to say, your peeps, but um, it defines the the road that you are on. Basically, that's what it is. But unfortunately, or fortunately, paganism has become a term that defines also a path. True. Do you see what I mean? Broad, broad, I mean, yeah. But are you a Wicca? Are you no? I'm just a neo pagan, and and so it became a path as well. So when it becomes a path that it's not defined by any other thing, then I'm not, because I am not a pagan in that sense. I'm not just, you know, doing my solitary work, no disrespect to solitary practitioners. I I, I myself started as a solitary practitioner. So I guess Me too. I, I started as a pagan. Um, but <laughs> and many of us, and many of us even heading covens or or being initiates in a coven practicing priesthood. We all, many of us, also con uh, continue with a with a solitary, right? With a, sol well, a solitary practice, practice yeah, more emotional practice, private practice, yeah, yeah, uh, personal. 
So, um, but, uh, you know, there are pagans that are define themselves as pagans in their own um, beautiful practices that they do. But I really don't do that. So I need I need to distinguish myself when people say, are you a pagan? I said, well, I practice a pagan religion, which is within the scope of paganism or neo-paganism yeah. in this case. But am I a pagan? I don't really think I am in the sense of what, the practices is so it's it's not really what I do. However, yeah, I, I participate in things that are considered to be of the paganism. I would say of the paganism, <laughs> because and they're not necessarily just pagan. They have an identity. I think that paganism is is just an umbrella term that really actually defines um, the territory, really where you are. But yeah. you 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 then have to define yourself. So defining yourself just as a pagan, I don't think that that's... That really works, works right? And in, then I have to say that when I, when I think about, you know, I think about paganism, I think of like Starhawk and I think of Selena Fox. Right. And, and and to go to these types of, I'm sure many of us have gone to pagan, right, pagan events. Um, and then if I ever do go to a pagan event, I feel actually completely out of place. Like I'm not going to really involve myself in a drumming circle. I'm not going to really involve myself with picking up and touching the grass and rolling around in it. And uh, so it's just it's just a different form of practice that's very honestly foreign to what we do. And I I don't want this to sound class elitist, you know, right? This is very you interesting know. that you're talking about yeah. that because, because you're obviously you're talking about your own experience, right? On My own experience, yeah. right? And so therefore, I believe that I am a priest of the sacred circle of witchcraft. Right. Right. The temple. Right. 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 The temple. But for, for instance, paganism in Portugal, it's another thing. You know, I think that this also takes some regional thing. Um, and it depends on the culture that you are. For instance, we did a fantastic first meeting of ancestral paganism in uh, Portugal uh, last Not year, you. and it was incredibly fulfilling. Uh, we worked with uh, a Druidic center in Portugal, which is has incredible people uh, working with with uh, within. Uh, and quite different from what you would expect. I mean, I would, I would, I would love to bring you there because I would love for you to participate and look at what and experience it, because you wouldn't. Yeah. I, I don't know if your reference of paganism would be would be the same. <laughs> probably not. I, probably not. And this is I'm going to paint with a really broad brush as well. No. And I lived in Europe for for many years. And there is definitely a difference between American culture and European culture. And correct me if I'm wrong, Kerrigan, but you know, you're, you're in Portugal. It is a Catholic, dominantly Catholic country in terms of religion. And I would imagine that paganism, alternative religions um, are still probably considered subversive. And I'm not talking about folk magic because my answers with Portuguese and there's lots of folk magic in, in Portugal as other, as other countries. So I think just the subversiveness of following an alternative religion in these different areas, geographically and culturally, might uh, attract a more serious practitioner rather than the United States, where I feel like we're really influenced by Instagram and TikTok and everything is maybe surface level rather than plunging deeper levels. Right. I, I think that it's... it's Cultural differences. Yeah. I think that it has to do with the fact that I would put a very Catholic country. I would put a very in there because it really is very, just like Italy, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, very Catholic. And it is very difficult, very, uh, yeah. to detach yourself or to navigate things in countries like this, because it's not open. You can't really do that thing that go to a park, a public park, and you see a group of people in a circle chanting and doing ritual or dancing the maple. That is not going to happen in Portugal. Not going to happen. No. It's not. You know, I remember that when I worked with PFI in Portugal many, many years ago, we used to go to the wilderness, like literally a mountain in the middle of nowhere where people wouldn't see us at all. 
because it it is subversive and it is marginalized and it's very interesting because you know what happens in portugal and i'm sure it's in italy it's the same thing if people suspect that you are doing witchcraft because for them it's witchcraft doesn't matter what you do right they don't recognize yeah. whatever it's that they will get back to you subversively in silence they will get back to you they will break your offerings, they will throw them on the floor, they will rip them apart, even if it is flowers or just a rose. If they suspect that's witchcraft, they will rip it apart. So there is a yeah. very strong still culture. There's no respect whatsoever. What respect? About what? No, there is none. So this is quite scary, you know? So things have to be done. Yes, it can be publicized. Yes, it can be, you know, because we do have we're protected by law, um, uh -huh. but it's it really quite serious. If you go to, Brian was just talking about what happened with them in uh, Salem, that group of people that just break a barge into the and, yeah barge to the circle to the circle, and no. that would not go that well in Portugal. Yeah, you know, so, it didn't went well. But what I'm saying is, it it would be worse. In Portugal, because yeah. people do not feel that they need to respect anything other than Catholicism. Yeah, absolutely. You see? I do, and it's and it's also, and I guess this is probably more akin to United States back, perhaps maybe in the '60s and the '70s, and even in the '80s, where seekers really had to jump over hurdles, really had to look far and wide for practitioners of the craft, and therefore it needed really concerted effort to go and practice this um, religion. And I think a lot of people who maybe are not as dedicated or devoted or serious or not as a vocation would be like, ah, oh, too difficult for me <laughs> to go and buy, find someone to, uh, to practice with. Yeah. Do, you, do you know what I mean? It, it sort of thins the herds. It does. Um, it does. And, and in many ways, because a lot of people just don't want to be uncomfortable or they want it quickly. Right, right. You know, because it's a very Catholic country, uh, the only thing they know is if it isn't this that we do, it's devil worshiping because that's yeah. what their universe is. And they respond to the justification that they have is if it isn't this, it's that. And if, mm -hmm. if it's that, I'm a soldier of this. And I yeah. will combat that. Do yep. you see what I mean? So they don't do. have any respect whatsoever because they're so enclosed into their own vision that they don't have a, an American view like, oh, you know, freedom of speech, you know, freedom of religion. That's not yep. how, even if we do have, and we do have it in here, it's not going to be, the response is not going to be that. The response is going to be of yep. the warrior against evil. That's their, that's their thought. So quite interesting conversation, don't you think? <laughs> I do. We do uh, have, uh, you know, not talked about orthodoxy or orthopractice, but I think that those terms are so saturated nowadays. And, but, and I think that we did in, in our own way. So, you know, for those who, who don't know, orthodoxy is the belief and orthopractice is, of course, the practice. And some people define our practice as um, our orthopractice or the same practice, which is not true, is it? Really isn't. It's not the no. same. It should be uh, recognizable, but it can't be really the same exact practice. Of course, we do things, the major things are exactly the same. Um, but, you know, orthopractice cannot be partial, can it? I mean, you know, if you say that you're doing orthopractice, then it's assumed that you're doing exactly the same thing. Everyone is doing the same thing. And that's not true. It's not true. And I think, you know, and, and I think it's, it's good to bring these words up because you do see them on websites for, um, for covens right. and, you know, describing themselves as orthopraxic. And when I think about orthopraxy, absolutely, it is the practice and sort of the physical practice. And I can even, you know, boil that down. Maybe I'm simplifying it too much. Boil that down to, you know, you, you know, you hold the incense in your right hand and then you swing it four times, right? So that, that's how I sort of think about ortho, orthopraxy versus 
orthodoxy, which is the belief. So what does that do? Like that, your ortho, your orthodoxy should inform your, inform your practice, right? Because you believe swinging that sensor four times does something. Really? And I think for those covens and people who really are focused on orthopraxy, so just the practice, yeah. I think also helps those people who like to jump from tradition to tradition to tradition to tradition. So for example, can you be Gardnerian and Alexandrian simultaneously? And I guess if you think everything is just orthopraxic, so how you actually just physically practice, then I guess you can be because I'm not telling any secrets here. We know that Gardnerians use the scourge a lot, scourge to purify themselves, for um, for example, uh, and Alexandrians don't. We have other methods. So if you're a Gardnerian and an Alexandrian, well, which method do you actually believe works? Right? Is it the scourge, or is it a, or is it a different or is it a different method? And if you think that it's just orthopraxic, then I guess both. Both of them work, but which ones you actually believe, um, believe to work. And I think like what you're saying, I think both need to go hand in hand, right? Your, your orthodoxy needs to justify your orthopraxy. That's right. Otherwise, then it's just empty ritual. Then you're just going through the motions because you were told to do these motions without any belief in the fact that they work. And, and it's a little bit like, what is this circle again? Is it Gardnerian or Alexander? Oh, it's Alexander. Oh, it's Alexander. Okay. So just take away the skirts. Yeah. Just take away the skirts. That's right. Because they get, I have been in circles where they get confused <laughs> circle of what tradition they're, go, they're practicing. Yeah. What is this today? Is it uh, tomato soup or, uh, you know, or exactly. clam chowder? Yeah. Clam chowder. Very New England. <laughs> well, uh, this is very interesting. These things about the current, the Alexandrian current, and uh, what does it define you as an Alexandrian? Is it just the initiation? No, it isn't. No, it isn't. There is no. a series of principles, for instance, that come to mind that could be a definition of why you are Alexandrian. But the, the thing is, you know, I guess that today the question is, how do you define your Alexandrianism? Because it looks like well. there is witchcraft for every witch one witchcraft for every witch, you know what I mean? So it's like every person, every initiate feels, no, I'm doing this because I, I'm more comfortable with this, this, or I, you know, yeah. just because they don't understand or because they don't really, or they're not very curious about it. It's quite challenging sometimes to understand this and how this works really. And you're absolutely, you know? there's every, every witchcraft for a witch. So you don't need to be Alexandrian, right? You don't need to be Gardnerian. Yep. There are many different paths and, um, and traditions that might more closely align to what you're looking for. Right.